the Healing Through Love podcast with Charlene Lynch and Rose Davidson. In episode 27, Diane Simbore discusses why women go back to abusive relationships and why perpetrators won't change. History of violence, regardless of how long the history is, regardless of how many women have been affected by him, that visitation is, is encouraged and unfortunately it's enforced, okay? So now if the woman fails to comply with the family court orders, which override the magistrate court orders, she now is in, in a situation whereby she faces the possibility of uh, of legal action against her in which she may lose her children. So what I'm trying to say, and I want to link the dog story back to this, what I'm trying to say is that when a woman is brave enough to leave and she goes and gets her magistrate court orders and she feels a sense of relief that somehow the legal system is working for her to protect her and her children, all they have to do then is go to the uh, family court. The Healing Through Love podcast with Charlene Lynch and Rose Davidson. The Healing Through Love podcast with host Charlene Lynch and Rose Davidson would love to acknowledge Global Glamping Charities Incorporated for generously supporting this podcast. Global Glamping Charities, solving homelessness in all of its forms. Reach out to them at globalglamping.org. Welcome to another episode of Healing Through Love. Each week, we share ideas, experiences, and resources to increase the awareness of domestic and family violence and to empower survivors to grow and thrive. We talk with experts who share their advice or with people who have experienced abuse, no matter where they are on their journey. This is all about healing through love. And now, here are your hosts, Charlene Lynch and Rose Davidson. Hello and welcome to the Healing Through Love podcast. I'm your guest, Charlene Lynch from charlenelynch.com. Healing Through Love is a social enterprise whose vision is to share the awareness on domestic and family violence within the community and support those survivors. Our mission is to provide family and domestic violence survivors with a soft place to land by offering advice and services available to them and their families. And we interview experts and survivors who share their personal stories and offer advice to those who've experienced abuse, no matter where they are on the healing journey. We are supported by our sponsors, Global Glamping Charities, and we value their support. Their primary purpose is to solve homelessness in all of its forms. Today, my special guest is Diane Sombrero, is one of the founders of the Family Violence Mindset Solution. Now, that's a mouthful. She (laughs) is a recovery coach, a behavioural profiler, and a consultant who works with survivors of family, family violence. After they have 
exhausted their time-limited crisis support services, Diane helps women fast-track what would otherwise be a very long and lonely recovery process. From her 27 years lived experience of violence and 10 years as a professional experience. And she is now devoted to making a difference in this area. Hello and welcome, Diane. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for having me tonight. <laughs> it's a privilege and a pleasure. It, uh, it's certainly a different energy that you bring to the world and to this conversation when you've got that lived experience and you're also a professional. And uh, I notice that people do follow people. They are more interested in having a conversation with someone who has a lived experience than they are interested in having conversations with professionals. Now, that's interesting. Why do you think that's so, Diane? Um, I, I know that uh, people who've been through family violence, they feel like um, sometimes they feel like they're the only person who's been through it. Sometimes they feel that their their situation is very unique to them and them only. Um, and so I found that uh, when I was doing court support and advocacy, you know, across Victoria, that um, I found that the first thing that I had to say was um, I'm a survivor too. And that created um, a relaxed atmosphere. It also created a level of trust because they thought, you're speaking my language. You know what I've been through. You know what I'm going through. You know, so it's really hard for other people who haven't been through it to actually understand what it involves, you know, what it involves to, one, go through family violence. Um, the, the common question is, why doesn't she just leave? I mean, it just drives you crazy. But, um, but, uh, but they also um, don't understand that it doesn't stop. Uh, you know, when they leave, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going on and on and on. So I think uh, you really have to have lived experience in order to understand the complexities of what people experience and how to support them as they're going through. Mm. So you create that level of trust. If correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, this is what you're saying, is yeah. that you create that level of trust with them yeah. instantly yeah. just by them knowing that you've been through it. Yeah. And then you've got a different level of empathy when you're having the conversations because you've been down that track yourself and you get it. I was just recently on a panel here in Adelaide and I was listening to others talk and it's interesting, the people that have had that experience themselves, they ask different questions mm. and the people that had never um, been in that situation, I could see that they were looking through a different lens of, I don't understand, why didn't you just walk away? Mm. So it really does make a huge difference and, uh, and I love what you bring to the party here. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about your own story? Are you okay to talk about it? Sure. Yeah. I was, um, I married a, an African. Yeah. Um, we met overseas and um, I, I, that's my dog in the background. Can you hear it? <laughs> um, uh, I, I started my married life when I was in Africa, in West Africa, and we started a, a small uh, home-based business while I was there, but I was also pregnant <laughs> while I was in Africa, which was an interesting experience in itself. Um, so I went into the marriage. It was a faith-based marriage. So uh, that makes it a whole different ballgame as well. Uh, that will keep you in a marriage longer than you should stay because it's linked to faith. So, yeah. So um, I didn't realise because I was living in another country, I didn't realise that what I was experiencing was uh, violence, you know, because my violence was not black eyes and broken limbs. And I always thought violence was black eyes and broken limbs. So I had a very naive attitude 
about what abusive relationships were, yeah. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, we were able to come back to Australia um, before the birth of my daughter. And that's when I was back in my home country, instead of being confused about adapting to a different culture and just thinking that's a cultural thing, I started to realise it's behavioural thing, you know, and it took me quite a while. I, I left my husband uh, when I was, I had a toddler and I was eight months pregnant with my second child and he scared the living daylights out of me. Um, so I thought I can't stay and I left, um, but he came chasing me that day and we went into a, a room and had a quiet conversation um, and he said, if you don't come back, I will take your, uh, I will take our daughter and he was going to take the second one as well. So sometimes women will go back because it's a better option than losing their children. Unfortunately, when I went back, and this is what I now understand due to my years of experience, when I went back, it was like I was going back and giving him the message, what you have done in the past is okay now. I'm giving you permission. I didn't know I was doing that, but honestly, that's what I was doing, wow. you know. Um, so it's 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 a message that um, you don't intentionally give, and you don't you're certainly not meaning it. But um, so I stayed a much much longer than I would ever have imagined, you wow. know. And it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. How yeah. do you feel about education in this space? Do you think that if we educated women and men that uh, on behaviours that are borderline or in the proximity of, of violence in all of its shapes and form, whether it be financial, emotional, spiritual, everything else in between, do you think that that would change the, the behaviours? Uh, people will not change. They, they will not change unless what they're doing is no longer working for them. There's no need to change if what you're doing is still working for you, okay? So if, if a perpetrator of violence, if the strategies that they are using, I'll say he simply because, is that okay? I'll say yes, he, yeah, yeah, and she for the, the victim, people can do whatever they like. They can add the prefix that, that is, is suitable for them, okay? But... Um, uh, so the perpetrators won't change unless there is uh, a need to change, unless what they're doing is no longer working for them, you know. So unfortunately, their strategies are very effective. And when a woman is in survivor mode, her brain has shut down. So she's not functioning with logic, ration and reason. She's functioning with adrenaline and intuition. She's functioning to survive. So unfortunately, He's, he, his strategies are working well and he's got her in a situation whereby she's being controlled because she's just trying to survive. Mm. And, um, and so what he's doing is working. There's no need for him to change. It's only when something changes, like she leaves or he's held accountable by the, the court or something changes that there, there seems to be a need to, you know, there's feedback, you know, this isn't working anymore. Maybe you need to change something you're doing, you know. Oh. Yeah. But um, so yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What if we built a better model? 
What if we made women so bulletproof and resistant and resilient that when they left high school, it was a big fat, see you later, mate, that's not working for me? Like what, what can we do about building a better model? Um, look, what, what I do, it, my, my interest is the why behind family violence, you know. Um, I, we, we, there's a lot of information out there about what are signs of family violence, what are red flags. There's a lot of information out there. My interest is why are they doing what they're doing? What's, what's the benefit, you know? So how can we take the benefit away, you know? Um, so that's my interest to help uh, people who are abusive. My interest to help uh, survivors of violence is to help them to understand the why behind what, what happened to them and what it is that they need to change. Because honestly, it's it's uh, it's it's not just one side that needs to change, it's both sides that needs to change. Because if uh, as a survivor, we still have the mindset of a survivor, you know, or a victim rather, and, um, and we're still conditioned um, to submit to someone with that type of behaviour or if we still believe that uh, we don't deserve any better than that, do you know? There's a, and we're still attracted to bad boys. <laughs> I found that was really common. Um, in over 500 women I asked, and, and so many of us were attracted to bad boys. <laughs> that needs to change, you know. Um, we need to be able to see that kindness and gentleness in a man is actually a strength rather than a weakness, you know. Um, so it's my my interest is changing, you know, helping people to change their mindset so that they one. Um, for abusers that it's it then becomes an awareness for them that what they're doing is is hurting someone else and that's not love like their their attitude towards practicing love is is very very different to what yours or my attitude of love is mm. you know yeah um, people hurt and heal yeah. people heal and that's yeah. why we're healing because mm. we healed ourselves mm -hmm. so what message would you uh, would so people that are in process right now so some of our listeners will still be in process right now what message would you like to share with them to see if you can help them move forward um can i tell you a story is that okay yeah, yeah. i like stories and this may um may demonstrate what it is that my title is you know um why women go back and why um, abusers won't change the um uh the uh, um, it's about a dog by the way <laughs> it's, about, it's a true story about a dog okay and it will make sense as I go along so please bear with me so there was this little dog named I'm going to call him Lucifer because I think it's a fun name okay <laughs> and um he he was a, a friend of mine it was a their dog and every time a stranger came to the house, this dog would run like a lunatic, barking and growling and um, with its teeth bared, ready to bite, you know, really quite aggressive and, and um, really bad, bad behaviour. So what happened was the owner of the dog just said, sit down, you know, don't do that and, and did the right thing. You did the right thing. But that was okay. But what happened then after a little, after a very short time, he would pick up the dog and cuddle it. Okay. So <laughs> the message that the dog was getting was that what the dog was doing in growling and aggressing visitors to the house 
was good. Even though his owner yelled at him, it was only momentary, okay? And the the thing that the dog wanted more than anything else was a cuddle from its owner because that was confirmation that what it had done was good, okay? So what I want to say is that at the moment, um, the the way the system is, the, um, the way the, the system is to support survivors of violence, it makes it very, very difficult for them to navigate the legal system and to feel hope, quite honestly. Because when a, a woman is brave enough to speak up and disclose that she's going through violence and then she goes to the magistrate's court, what happens is she's able to get a protective order for her and her children. And that means that um, her abuser can no longer um, approach her. And, and there's there's a system in place whereby she has a level of protection and her and her children have an opportunity to start their recovery process, you know, and they feel safer, you know. But unfortunately, the next step is the family court. And the family court, um, when you get to the family court, the uh, visitation uh, with children for, for the abuser is reinstated and that means that the the uh, connection to his, his uh, former partner is also reinstated because she needs to deliver the children to her abuser, you know. I'm going to keep on calling him an abuser. I, I just hope it, it clarifies what I'm saying. So regardless, regardless of uh, uh, a guy's... Um, history of violence, regardless of how long the history is, regardless of how many women have been affected by him, that visitation is, is encouraged. And unfortunately, it's enforced. Okay, so now, if the woman fails to comply with the family court orders, which override the magistrate court orders, she now is in, in a situation whereby she faces the possibility of, uh, of legal action against her in which she may lose her children. So what I'm trying to say, and I want to link the dog story back to this, what I'm trying to say is that when a woman is brave enough to leave and she goes and gets her magistrate court orders and she feels a sense of relief that somehow the legal system is working for her to protect her and her children, all they have to do then is go to the uh, family court and the whole thing, the whole situation is turned around, you know. And so the the children are forced to visit with uh, a possibly abusive father. Uh, certainly he was abusive to the mother, but possibly also abusive to the children. And sometimes the kids are kicking and screaming and saying, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, please keep me home. If it's young children, the mother is... Um, the mother feels like the enemy because she's pushing them through the door. She's saying, I have to. It, it For a child, it doesn't matter if you have to send them. What they're seeing is you're sending them. Do you understand? So mm. it's undermining the relationship with the, between the mother and the child, but it's also giving a reward to the abuser because there's no question he's going to get visitation. Um my my uh, supervisor when i was working in the in the sector she was 28 years of experience and she saw only two cases in those 28 years where a man was refused visitation with the children only two cases and that was in the case of a, a murderer 
and a uh, pedophile, you know, he was running a pedophile ring. I can't remember what the other one, but major, major cases, 28 years, you know. So what I'm saying is there's a mixed message. There's a mixed message, you know. Are you, uh, you know, are you being held accountable for your actions? Is that message consistent? And I say it's not. I say it's not a consistent message. It's like the dog, you know. <laughs> you get yelled at first, but then you get the reward that you're looking for. And that reward stays. Unfortunately, that reward becomes a bit of a nightmare for the, the women and the children going through that if the partner continues to be really abusive. And unfortunately, many times they do. So does that make sense? Yeah, Diane. So where do you think the change needs to happen? The change needs to happen in the consistency of the message, you know, like you are either held accountable or you're not, you know. Um, you can't reward. Um, the point is that perpetrators of violence get their get they um they get what they want from having access to someone that they can abuse you know they think abusing is okay but they don't see it as abuse they see it as my entitlement or whatever you know i don't i don't pretend to sit inside the mind of abusers you know but i know that their attitude towards love is ownership and um and control because they feel secure within that they get security within that so you know that has to change but sorry i'm going round in circles just ask the question again and i'll clarify my no, just um, <laughs> so so either initially the telling off of the dog yeah, yeah. does that yeah. need to lessen or does the cuddling of the dog need to be like not so cuddly? Like which one do we have to fix? We have to fix the first port of call after they come mm. out and they've got, okay, now you've got protection. Mm. Or, or, or is it the family law court that we need to say like tighten up how they're actually managing the cases? Yeah, my my attitude towards the dog is the dog should have been sent outside and told consistently your behaviour is bad, sorry, you don't belong here, and lift your game, basically, okay? So if the, uh, if the attitude of the magistrate's court is you have done something that created danger for your, your uh, partner and your children, wife and children, okay, now, now you're going to be held accountable, that accountability should also progress through to the family court where people earn the right to have visitation with their children. They show, I can hit this point, I can hit this point, I've shown an attitude change. Um, that that has to be consistent. They do this in they do this in Scotland. They work under one roof. You know, they're the police and all of the people who work in the family violence sector work under one roof in a collaborative way, and they have one message and one message only. That is, you are held accountable for violence against uh, your partners, you know, and children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that the message needs to be consistent. Um, I'm not saying that they should never have uh, access to their children. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is it shouldn't be rewarded so easily. Oh, you know, I, it, I it should you. be earned. It should you. be earned. Unfortunately, yeah. we've we've seen uh, the reverse too, though. Yes, women having an understanding of how the system works, manipulated against men and access to their children. Yeah. You know, everything from false claims of um, inappropriate behaviour and everything else in between. So it seems like the system can be manipulated from both ends as well. Yeah, look, uh, I've worked with hundreds of women over the past ten years. And um, 
the claims of uh, being victimised um, are plentiful from the abuser side. They're plentiful uh, because, um, and so many times they were found to be not true. I met two women myself who claimed uh, that they were being abused and they I already assessed them and um, I assessed that maybe their story was a little bit flawed, you know, and I took action on that, you know, but that was too, I've, I've dealt with over 500. So that's not so bad, you know, like um, you can tell, but I'm, I'm dubious about some of the, the claims uh, of, of abuse. I'm dubious about them. Um, but um, I also listen I also listen because I know there are some cases out there where there is manipulation. Um, but honestly, I found a huge majority are not authentic, you know. And, and also, um, abusers, what I call serial abusers, they do not believe that what they are doing is wrong. Nice. So, you know, um, that's a problem. If you don't believe what you're doing is wrong, why would you bother to change your behavior? You know, and what they believe, what they seem to believe, what I've witnessed is that um, they make the woman wrong for taking action against them. So of course they they're saying I'm the victim here because she's taking action against me. You know, she disclosed my secret. I wanted her to keep my secret. I wanted to keep it under wraps, you know. Uh, she's disclosed my my private self and I wanted to keep my private self private, you know. I have a public uh, a public persona which I'm happy to show, but I want my private self to be kept secret and I insist that my my wife and my children do that for me, you know. Wow. So they feel they feel like they have been victimized because they have been exposed when they didn't want exposure, you know. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things that um, they can say I'm the victim because they feel like they have been betrayed by the people that they thought they should be protected by. Oh. You get it? So that's why I'm dubious about some of the claims of victimhood. I'm very dubious about them. I always listen. I listen to the facts. Um, I may have... I may have a scepticism when I'm listening, but I have a healthy dose of scepticism because I apply the same to the women that I listen to. Mm. I so to. Yeah. That yeah. the court play, doesn't play favouritisms for male or female, that, that it is, it's a case-by-case -case situation? It's very much a case-by-case -case situation I've found. And, um, and also I've found that um, there's a different quality of lawyer, you know, um, you know, you can get good lawyers and you can get bad lawyers, and I've seen them all. <laughs> I've seen them all. Um, yeah, all of the women that I worked with. Um, and, uh, you know, you hope that, uh, and also you can get good um, um, ICLs, uh, independent children's lawyer, yeah, and bad ones. You can get good and bad judges. You know, they're having a good day, they're having a bad day. I could tell you which day it was when I was in court <laughs> with them. You know, so, and, um, you know, you can get good and bad police. Everywhere you go, you can get good and bad, you know. Mm. But I think the the thing that I like doing is um, one of the first things I do is provide uh, a, a means by which people can navigate the legal system more effectively. Um, I feel like it, it, due, all, due to my 10 years of experience in the legal system, you know, and being an observer and an advocate, 
I saw all of the mistakes that people make. I saw the naivety that uh, people go to the court system with, and I saw what worked well and what simply didn't work well, you know, um, what things that they, people needed to really be careful of. So I prepared um, I prepared education for, for women um, as to how to navigate the legal system so that they can get a better outcome and also that they have a more um, aware attitude, like they're more aware of what the legal system is and what the challenges are and what sort of things they will have to face along the way. Oh. Because um, if, you, if you're completely naive and if you trust that the, the legal system will, will provide you with justice no matter what you do, I'm sorry, you're going to be terribly disappointed. And yeah. how do people get access to that, Diane? Yeah, I've I've got um, my membership site, How to Thrive After Family Violence um, dot com, is um, that it has a, a membership for one dollar for the first month, and that in that first month, in the four week period, um, that has uh, the the three uh, webinars on um, navigating the legal system before court, during a day in court and after court, the, okay. the three things that you really need to do, as well as a, an introductory webinar on where you are now, basically. Yeah. And so that's for the Australian law. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we're international. So I just want yeah. to make yeah. Australian, laws. Australian, yeah. Australian law. And yeah. do you find, is it different between states or is it just, is it the same? I found out that it is different between the states, and this is something I found out. Uh, I found out that intervention orders, I mean, they're called different things, um, uh, and uh, protective orders, restraining orders, intervention orders, all, all sorts of different names. But I found out that um, the one in Adelaide, once you get an order, it's permanent. It sounds like it's ongoing, whereas in Victoria, I know for a fact that um, you're pretty lucky if you get um uh, two years. If you get five years, you're doing really well. If you get a perpetual order, I mean, that's miraculous. Uh, I know one person who did get it. Yeah. So um, yeah, uh, most of the time you have to rock up and, and show show up again and again at uh, court to to renew your your order. Yeah. yeah. Here in Adelaide, we take it fairly seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm so pleased. You know, I feel like everybody should shift to Adelaide. Yes, as SA rules. <laughs> got some other amazing resources on your website as well can you talk about the webinar that you've got because that would be very relevant for our listeners yeah I'll just um I'll just explain it uh it's uh uh the 10 key things you need to know to distinguish between new love and the early stages of abuse yeah that's the title of it um the the reason I made that webinar is because um new love and the early stages of abuse do <laughs> they almost look identical unless you know what to look for you know so I made that webinar thinking that this is the information that everybody needs you know <laughs> and um I I went a little bit berserk and I made a longer webinar after that uh, which not only had 10 points it had 17 points and I could keep on rolling quite honestly <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's free on my my website that's family violence mindset solutions.com.au yeah that's fantastic so it, it is like a minefield yeah. uh, you know it's the one thing is is getting out and the other yeah. thing is staying out and staying away yeah. and how and how do you do that and sometimes it does feel easy to easier to go back 
um, it, it, the road, you know, well-traveled, the, the, know the devil you know rather than the yeah. devil you know. Yeah. And uh, if you're not, if you don't have that strong community group around you, that strong group of people that can help you, either family or other people, then it, it it's a lonely place. And especially for yourself, you're in a different country. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. all shades of even more challenging. Do yeah. you think that if you hadn't come back to Australia that it would have gone differently? Oh, it would have gone very differently because I found out when I came back to Australia that I was um, sick, yeah, and um, there was no health care over there. So um, I I would have ended up in a box somewhere. <laughs> oh, well, so, we're, glad, yeah. we're, glad you, we're glad that you're here. Yeah. <laughs> we're glad that you're moving forward. So yeah. do you have a community of people that you assist? Is that is that what it looks like? Um. I have a, a series of uh, uh, clients, you know, who have become friends, quite honestly, because I've been working with them for so long. <laughs> so I know their cases inside out. And as I said, um, even after you escape family violence, the the situation still goes on until the children are old enough to actually say, I don't want to visit you anymore, or I do want to visit you anymore. You know, it, it's up to them, you know. But um, another issue I have is... Um, I think the family court, um, they don't, they actually groom children into silence, unfortunately, with the visitation situation. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, In Victoria, I don't know if it's the same in Adelaide. If you're switched on in Adelaide, I hope it's different, you know. But um, uh, here, if a child is under 14, um, their uh, evidence is considered um, they're too young to actually have credible evidence. So even if they disclose abuse, you know, it can be sexual abuse, it can be all sorts of abuse, even if they disclose that, it's it's actually not credible according to the court. And so when these poor kids actually speak up and disclose something horrific and they're brave enough to do so, unfortunately, that disclosure is not only discredited and they don't act upon it, but they then share that disclosure with the abuser. That puts the child at further risk. You get it? And I hear you. And I just, I don't know what the law here in South Australia is, but I do know from some personal experiences that that's not the case. So whether or not they had different lawyers or they had something else involved, but um, younger children's age, as young as I think seven and nine, the children were, that they were able to um, get the court action to get things Uh, so they could have. So I don't know if it's the laws different or different lawyers or they had different levels of proof about what was happening. Yeah, my understanding is um, like uh, 12 and 14, anything under that, the the disclosures are, are not treated terribly well here unfortunately yeah so you know who's advocating for the children this it, it, the system has to change this is yeah. we need a world where it does we don't even need to be having this conversation no no that, no. that is a thing of the past yeah. and uh, I like to believe if we can make the girls bulletproof at school uh, so that they're not even going to enter these relationships yeah. and put up with yeah. it in the first place, then yeah. they won't keep repeating the cycles. Yeah. And mm. um, and that's what we see, repeated cycles, um, repeated abuse from the mother to the child mm-hmm. and so forth and so on. Wow, mm. I love the work that you're doing. It's amazing. Mm. And mm. how fulfilling to 
have a life where you've gone through tragedy uh, mm -hmm. yourself and now you've been able to make a difference and work in that environment professionally and now you continue that by carrying the flame and making impact in this area that is it's vindication it it is um it, it's completing the cycle you're making a difference for others it's a it's a powerful place to be Diane. yeah well i figure i figure that um I call it the University of Life. We'll enrol you in a course that you you would never choose to to take. You know, I never chose to take the course of family violence. <laughs> you know, I'd have to be crazy to do that. But sometimes the University of Life enrols you in a course, and you go through and you get your graduation, and then you find out the University of Life also has a job for you lined up at the end of it all. Okay, and then you use your qualification for the benefit of others. You know, so. Yeah, sometimes we're put through a, a, a process of, of discovery that we would never choose for ourselves. But um, honestly, I, you know, I, I look at other people who've gone through incredible hardship and I see them giving back, you know, like finding a purpose out of what you've been through. I think that's really important, you know, because um, there's a benefit in everything. Um, it sounds strange. I'm, I'm actually grateful for my experience because I think, um, I think potentially I could have been quite judgmental if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through. I could have turned around and said, you know, why doesn't she? <laughs> I could have. I could have because I wouldn't understand what people were going through. But then once I'd gone through that, it's opened up connections to people that I never thought I would have a connection to, you know, and um, and beautiful connections. I mean, amazing people that I have met as a result of my life experience, you know. And the beautiful thing about it is, like, I'm my children are half African, you know, as well. So having a, a, an interracial marriage and an interreligious inter marriage has opened up um, realms of conversation that I wouldn't have had either. You know, when people see photos of my children and they think, oh, they don't look like you, <laughs> they look African a bit, <laughs> then um, then it, it opens up um, a natural connection to people across racial boundaries, across cultural boundaries, across religious boundaries. It's wonderful, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I wouldn't have chosen that course for myself. But I'm so glad I got it. <laughs> and so are we because we're making such an impact and such a change. Mm. And so what's next for you now, Diane? Yeah, next for me is um, uh, creating more of awareness, you know, uh, around the mindset. Like um, I've discovered that what I'm doing is recovery and that's what I, I focus on. The government has invested lots and lots of money and effort in uh, the crisis stage, you know, but after after you've uh, completed the first six months or 12 months of, of government support, um, a lot of women are on their own, you know, and I find that the recovery period is the longest and can be the loneliest part of their course, you know. Uh, there's not a lot of support out there. So the, the place where I work, Jerawara Health Services, was the only place in Victoria that provided long-term support for survivors of violence, oh. the only place. Now, that's terrible. That means that there's a huge gap um, of of uh, a need for support in the recovery process. And I tell you, if if the recovery process isn't effective, um, then the likelihood of women going through the same thing again exists. So my interest, my whole focus is 
make the recovery process good <laughs> and effective and efficient so that women can resolve um, the mindset that was given to them through going through a family violence, you know. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It's been fabulous talking yeah. to you, Diane. Oh, you. <laughs> and we're hoping that you come back again as another guest. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> just to talk <laughs> about what else you're doing in this area. Yeah. And here in South Australia, we've got a strong focus. We've even got funding from some philanthropic, I get that word wrong every time, <laughs> uh, entrepreneurs who are creating spaces for the long-term challenged yes. um, and to help them with uh, their own business concepts and to help yes. them get a leg up in the community. Yes. So it would be great to see the government do dollar for dollar with things like that as well. So, yes, yes there's lots of work to be done long-term. Hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, it does begin with this level of awareness and education, and that's what this conversation is all about, is shedding a light on something, you know, that other people just don't have having conversations about. So mm. thank you so much, Diane, My for being with us today from Healing Through Love. It's mm. been a privilege and a pleasure. Bye thank for you. now. Bye. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode of Healing Through Love. You can get further resources, see the show notes, or simply reach out to us via our website at htlaustralia.org. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to your company next time on the Healing Through Love podcast. Music.